It's time for the Daily Review, a podcast dedicated to reviews and discussion of TV, movies, and books. Look for us at Daily Review on Facebook and Twitter and dailyreview.com on the web. That's D-A-L-E-Y review.com. This is Paul Daly. Here's my wife, Caroline. Hey, guys. And today we're here to discuss the ninth episode of the second season of HBO's Westworld. This one is called Vanishing Point. What do you think that title means, Paul? Well, a vanishing point in the art world refers to when you are drawing in perspective. It's a point of convergence, basically, where all lines that are meant to be sort of parallel actually come to a single point. So it's a it's where things come together. And that completely makes sense for this, right? This episode really, really feels like we're setting things up for the for the finale, which we should because that's next week. <laughs> so so that's a, that's a good thing. And I think they really, really did a good job of getting everybody addressed this week. Big, big, big things happened in this episode. They absolutely did. Let's get started with our man in black. The man in black or Billy, as his wife calls him when she's trying to piss him off. <laughs> I, I would say and also also bring in the Slaughterhouse Five Billy, I think. Slaughterhouse Five Billy. That's the main Billy in there. So, yeah, I'm going to say that, that that plays in. But let's get back to our party scene. We have this like interesting voiceover that starts at the beginning when he's like walking down the hall and it's this description of how he feels like you know no one else saw it in him but you saw it in me and and i felt like there was a stain and and all this talk right yeah and he's he repeats that entire spiel over again later which i thought was fascinating that they did that any insight as to why they would start off the whole thing with that and then repeat that same lines later. I'm starting to think he's a host. Loops and things make sense to hosts. Even one that would be very advanced like like Billy here. That's my that's that's what I'm going with right now is that it's just a looped behavior that it's part of his cornerstone code that he that he's got this stain, you know? Yeah, and I kind of feel like that idea of a stain inside of him. I mean, we have all those moments where he's digging inside his arm. You know, we're all we all know he's trying to figure out is he a host? Is he not a host? We're trying to figure out is he a host? Is he not a host? And so I feel like that you know this concept of like uh, an indelible mark. You know, something that just it's permanent. You can't get get away from it. I I feel like he's he's a walking stain, man. <laughs> I'm always talking about a stain inside of him. He, he's done some very regrettable things. It's interesting, though. Like, a lot of crazy people don't know that they're crazy. So he's not crazy, but he knows that he's got this need to do stuff that most sane people would say is crazy, right? The the need to hurt other people, basically. Okay, so here's an interesting thing. When... And we're kind of jumping around, you guys. So I, so I apologize if, if it's a little bit confusing, but stick with us here. All right. So I rarely go on Reddit. I mean, rarely, rarely, rarely. But I really am curious as we're as we're getting to the end of this season. You know, just generally, what what is the what are the vibes? What are people feeling like they're getting from this? Because I want to make sure that we're not so crazy off base here. You know. Okay, makes sense. Okay, so you know when they show his wife Juliet put the memory card on that little screen reader, which P.S. I thought was awesome. Uh-huh. There was a little section, and, and we can add the little the, the screenshot onto our, our webpage so you guys can check a look. It's dailyreview.com. Um, and there's a portion that says Category 47B. 
And underneath that, it has these codes, right? That says 301.94, 296.902, Now, beside those, it says persecutory, I can't say that, persecutory, you say it, Paul. I don't- um, Persecutory, like persecution, but with a Tory at the end. Okay. Persecutory subtype. Then the second one is delusions. And the last one is paranoid subtype. Okay. There's also a little part behind that. There's just like data uh, and and psychology files and all this stuff, right? Now, the interesting thing is that if you do a quick uh, look in the DSM, which is like the, the medical code book for like all the diagnoses, right? 301.82 is avoidance personality disorder. 301.81 is narcissistic personality disorder. What I'm saying is that these codes match up to all these various... DM codes, DSM codes. Interesting. Right. Mood disorder. Another one is a bipolar disorder, single manic episode, moderate, all these things. So um, you guys can can delve into that a little bit. I'll put the I'll post those two pictures. And, and again, I give credit to the to Reddit on that, that it was someone in there uh, called Pimp Glitter who posted up uh, the- uh, I like the, Pimp, Pimp Glitter's work. Pimp Glitter is, uh, yeah, really, really into it. I think that kind of stuff is fascinating and I really appreciate that they they also did a screenshot of the the screen which is always exciting to look at so let's figure out how do we get there why why are we looking at this screen what is going on so we have this party he ends up talking with ford eventually i mean the wife gets drunk and is and he doesn't want to hang around and watch his wife get drunk so he goes to the the bar there's a hotel or something so there's a, he leaves the ballroom goes to the bar and ford of all people's waiting for him did he look out a place to you like uncomfortable like being like how he says uh, Oz away from the Emerald City. Where did he, where did he, what was his analogy? He said the wizards out of Emerald City. Ah, uh, yeah. What's Oz doing without its wizard? I think is yeah, what he said. Yeah, I like it like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, he, to me, he looked really not just out of place, but kind of uncomfortable there too. I think that he had been keeping an eye on the situation, uh, you know, from the other room, from the bar. And the entire time, Juliet was really carrying on, like right outside the doorway. And so if you were if you were sort of observing and studying a situation and then you watched him come in the way that Man in Black did, and he was just sort of like so just tired of the scene, you know? Yeah. I yeah. feel like Ford was sort of assessing the scene and sort of being like... Like, this is a mess, <laughs> you know, like this is a hot, hot mess you you have here. What do you suppose his purpose was in delivering the memory card? Is it was it his way of initiating the game or was there something else? I do in many ways believe it was initiating the game. I, I need to back it up just one step. What do you think that he meant when he was saying that they had an there was an agreement and that there was a that they had broken the agreement? That that Dalos was supposed to stay out of the stories and you stay out of the valley. And he was like, Yeah, but there's been like a breach in that situation. What what do you think they were talking about? I was I was asking myself the same question, like what mechanism would have created this unauthorized crossover. I mean, they share the same space, but I'm, they would make it so that the hosts ignore it. I mean, we know that Akichita found it, but he was a very unique case. I'm going to go with the lower rung of Delos management, kind of like the Hales and and that kind of, of person are possibly like poaching Westworld talent or something like that. So it's kind of like kind of getting into his business 
that they're doing their business. Does that make sense? So perhaps this was this, the card could have been like, this is almost like blackmail, right? Like I, I really wanted you to stay out of my park and this is how I'm going to get you to do it. The way that I took it after watching the entire episode, because I would say in, in that moment, I definitely thought he was like giving him the evidence to himself. Like, like, like you have been in our stories, like you have been affecting our stories, you know, and, uh, as Delos and stuff. And so I kind of felt like he was, you know, confronting him with this evidence with the memory card. However, looking back at the entire series and in, and especially this season, I feel like Ford's MO is more that he doesn't create the path that the person goes on. He knows the person so well that if he does certain things, he anticipates the events that are going to follow. Mm-hmm. So like he didn't... Uh, program Dolores to shoot him, but if he set up all the pieces just so, something bad would happen. So he sat there and watched Juliet having this massive breakdown, you know, like like dropping shit on the, you know, the waiter and stuff like that, just acting a fool, right? Right, right, yeah. So I feel like bringing the memory card out of Westworld into the real world and handing it to him at this party sort of set forth this spiraling craziness of events that maybe he couldn't he couldn't have exactly said oh the wife's gonna find it the wife's gonna commit suicide the daughter's gonna do this this is what's gonna happen but i think he could know this is a dysfunctional family this guy's distracted now this massive piece of evidence is out in the real world it will eventually fall into the wrong hands and it will cause mayhem. That's okay. what I think. And so the they use the the word uh, gaslight several times. Emily says, uh, you know, someone's gaslighting. Uh, someone else used the word. Uh, Juliet says the word gaslighting. I think that Ford is essentially gaslighting William in the bar. I mean, he, he's kind of setting up this sequence of events and then is sort of like, oh, what happened? You know, <laughs> when it all goes What'd down. What'd you do? Yeah, like, oh my God, how unforeseen. So I I do think that, that Ford knew what he was doing. He couldn't necessarily know how it would all play out, but he could see that Juliet was a sick person. And knowing that and knowing that William was just exhausted dealing with it. Mm-hmm. It would not be unforeseen to think William may leave this somewhere, maybe even subconsciously on purpose for her to find it because he essentially does that when they end up going home. It's not just about her finding the memory card when she begs him to like tell a truth to her. I mean, he does spill his guts. Uh, well, she says, tell me one true thing, sort of his his catchphrase, right? I'm just looking for one true thing. Nice, nice, nice catch. So, but he does though. I mean, he spills it. I mean, he spills the biggest true thing, right? I'm not yours. I'm not in love with you. You know, this is all, this life out here is the sham, you know? Yeah. So maybe even Ford showing up Maybe even, you know, just just the glimpse of Ford. Juliet probably saw Ford sitting there, you know, was enough to initiate that conversation, you know, calling him Billy, mentioning his pilgrimage, you know, and then the memory card just happens to go in Slaughterhouse Five, that book, which if you guys don't know the summary on that one, the main character's name is Billy Pilgrim, and he has like a hard time even knowing who he is by the end of the book. Like he can't sort himself out. And it's it's told out of sequence. Um, and uh, 
it, it's it's very not it's not similar to Westworld, but you could tell that the style, you know, the the style of it is gives you a little pause, you know. It's like an an informative text. So he would have just been better off just breaking that thing in half and <laughs> throwing it away. I don't think it would have mattered completely because I think, like I said, Ford physically existing in our world, outside of Oz, if you will, set forth a series of events. I mean, Juliet, no doubt, talked about Westworld and talked about him going back there because Ford was physically there. You mm, know? Like the reminder. Mm-hmm. And so then it 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 started something anyway. You know, and I mean, there's a there's a fair chance that Juliet would have killed herself without having seen that memory card. You know, I mean, listening to what him him saying. Yeah, I guess the memory I, card was just confirmation. It was confirmation, right? I mean, it was nail in the coffin, but she woke up already upset. Not woke up, but like opened her eyes already upset. So, you know, I, we don't know. And in addition to that, we cannot forget. Emily's role in this entire mix. Well, they there's a part in the corollary storyline where um, Emily is still pretending to want to make amends with her father, and so she throws him a bone. Uh, the she believes the suicide to be her fault, and so then we fully explore why why that's a plausible thing to say, mm -hmm. right? That Absolutely, she was. <laughs> well invested in the idea of committing mom against her will. And even before that, had been so distant from her mother. You know, the the idea of, of back even when I think she said she was 17, you know, getting the the jewelry box. Yeah. You know, and 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 throwing it in the trash and that kind of stuff. I mean, those kinds of moves are are definitely the things that you look back on with extreme remorse, you know? And so she did do things that were realistically probably contributing factors, you know? They didn't help, but I think the stain speech was pretty much it. <laughs> Agree. Agree. Because, I mean, I guess you'd feel like you would have known for a while that you had this feeling that your partner was faking it. And then all of a sudden it's like super confirmed. But you're, you've spent your whole life on that pretty much, right? It seemed that way. I mean, it definitely seemed that way. And I mean, that conversation also exposed a couple of other things as well as the party. That whole Plutarch, um, you know, conversation, I definitely felt like we were supposed to be getting the concept of um, knowing that he did come from a humble background and that, I mean, they really like reiterated that over and over again. Yeah. Um, and that Juliet was probably a smart, well-read, well-rounded spouse. Like she didn't really deserve to be cast off you know, in the way that she was not to say that, like, if she was, you know, ignorant and whatever, but just the idea that like she could keep up with him. She was a worthy spouse for him. You know, that he didn't he didn't need to go find someone else, you know, to challenge him or whatever, you know, not that any of those would be good reasons to be weird to your wife. But you understand what I'm saying. The whole stain thing is kind of interesting because all along he's been claiming that going to Westworld was the catalyst that. It may have been in there, but it was dormant. So mm -hmm. he was he was with Juliet prior to going to Westworld. So there was some period of time when he when he hooked her that he he either he was still faking it or he was faking it but didn't know it, which 
I guess is a safer <laughs> I think that, long-term place to be than I think I guess. you could probably think that like the idea that like he was supposedly this humble guy, you know, and she described him with like the shabby suit and, you know, sort of just like not as slick as the other guys. Well, you have Logan to compare him to in the first season and yeah, he is, <laughs> he's no Logan. But here's the thing. He aspired to be. He wanted to keep that company. And so if you're a kind of guy who surrounds himself with people like that, even if you don't outwardly show it, it seems like, you know, your your values are probably not pure. You know, if you choose that line of work, if you choose to surround yourself with those people. Well, okay. I'm not sure I get your meaning. Like, you can have pure values and be a wheeler and dealer, can't you? I don't think that you can. When you say wheeler and dealer, I, I'm going to say no, because I mean, the connotation of a wheel and dealer is not having great values, right? So if you want to say, could you be a successful businessman and have values? Absolutely. Was there anything about Delos and the Delos family that implies great values and like these these businessmen that are sort of on the up and up or whatever. I mean, look at again who was at the party. The the rich guy saying, "I'm a rich kid who didn't have to read anything." Mm, yeah. You know, I mean, like, and these were he, these were his contemporaries. This was a work party. These were his peers, yeah. and and they went out of their way to say these are his peers. These are the people who are he was trying to impress. And so what I'm saying is, think if you try to impress those people and you make that your life, you surround yourself with those people, at some point, your value system, whether it was good when you came in or whether it was always questionable, I think you know it's going to crack. Yep. Okay. And his, his in, what made him novel was that he wasn't the slick willy externally. And he wasn't someone who came in the rich guy, which gave him not a more, he wasn't more pure or innocent or anything. He just came in a different package that was novel to this group. Okay. So if he had been, if he had been exposed to, I guess, that same kind of decadent life earlier then the stain might have come out earlier it's just westworld was like an extreme like pressure cookers type situation yeah i think he would look the same as those other guys and everyone would know who he was to begin with you know and so it wouldn't be so like extreme that he went from you know this white hat to the black hat you know but yeah. that's part of the the wow of it is like all the other guys in the room already were wearing black hats so if you're a white hat why you want to stand around with a bunch of black hats what's your story white hat i mean if you think about it and you compare him to Teddy in a lot of ways, Teddy's almost like the polar opposite. He's a white hat who was forced to be a black hat and could not stomach that. And he's like kind of the opposite. Like he's like, I want to I want to be a black hat, but I but I'm going to act like I'm a white hat. And it's mm. like the opposite of Teddy. So I don't know. I, I find it fascinating. There are so many parallel stories in this. Um, right especially for a Father's Day episode, uh, which this did air on Father's Day. There was a whole lot of dad, kid kind of moments, you know, real yeah, interesting. All, all bad, all bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know if Ford and Maeve's would be considered bad exactly, but interesting and not something I necessarily saw coming. So let's continue on with Man in Black here. We do actually have the, the suicide scene. I don't know if I needed this level of detail for Juliet's suicide. I felt like the ambiguousness of Man in Black running up the stairs and seeing her in the tub was actually enough for me, those clips. It was pretty well spelled out with just those flashes. I thought so too. I mean, I thought it was very artistic and and uh, like tension building to have the water, 
you know, kind of coming on the pearl of the chandelier there or whatever, whatever kind of little metal ball that was, and then dripping onto the table to like stop their conversation. That was very beautiful to look at, you know, it was very artistic. One interesting detail that you saw that I missed because I was writing was that, you know, with suicide attempts sort of comes a a level of seriousness, right? The guy that, that shoots his brains out, he's not fooling around. The, mm-hmm. the person that takes a bunch of pills, they might be like, well, you know, someone saves me, they save me. But she looked like she double whammied it. P- pills and wrists, right? Because she looked so drained. Yeah. I mean, her face definitely looked like pallid, like yes. that really white face that you get, you know, if, you, if you're if, like, would they say you're the blood ran out of your face kind right. of thing? Um, and the definitely the bathtub water seemed pink yes. or red. Yeah. Um, so it did seem like that. I mean, from what I understand, like a lot of times only because this came up because of like, uh, if you guys are listening to this at a, at a different point in time, there was recently like three celebrity suicides, uh, really recently Kate Spade and Anthony Bourdain. And then the, the boy that was on the Goldbergs, mm-hmm. um, as like a side actor. So, um, from what I understand, like the concept of like taking pills is more like you take them and then you do do something like the hanging or the or the wrist or something like that. And it's like a combo in a way that's like once you've done that, you're so your body's so limp and you're so kind of out of it. You can't go back like you can't call 911 or you, if you're hanging yourself, you you kind of go unconscious or whatever. So then you actually die after you sort of because you went unconscious in the situation, if that makes sense. Yeah, sure. You know, so it's like you don't get up and do anything. So it's a serious way to, to do it. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, I would say that the the choice to take all the pills was definitely, you know, she was trying to numb out and stuff. And it might have even been able to be considered an accident at that point. But then the blood in the tub is like, where for me, it's like, no, she like super committed suicide. You know, this was like real. Really wanted to go. I believe. Yeah. And I mean, do you blame her? I mean, she she had already been in rehab before and she considered it like a jail. And here's her daughter saying, we're absolutely taking you in the morning. And then everything with her husband saying like this whole life's a lie. And also, I mean, yeah, her life where, was just a trap. Where are you going to run to at that point? You know, I mean, for don't forget, she looked at the memory card of her husband raping a woman over and over again. Yeah. I mean, how do you how do you reconcile all that by this point? Dad's dead. Logan's probably dead by this point. Yeah, I just don't think there's any there's anything left. I, I do have, I do think that Celia Ward played a beautiful version of Juliet. I I didn't really recognize the fact that they had decided to get like an older version of Juliet because I didn't really view her as older because she looked fantastic. Yeah. So I was kind of confused that at first I was like, okay, you know, we're obviously focusing on Celia Ward. What role does she have in this? And they were like Juliet. I was like, wait, what? Like she's supposed to be his contemporary because she's the well-maintained wife. Oh my goodness. She looked like she was like 50 and you know, he's like 70 something in the, in the show. So it's like, that was crazy. Right. She did amazing. Yeah. You thought you noticed something odd about the bathtub scene and I totally missed it. Well, okay. So here's an amendment to our previous recorded podcast. I had complained a whole bunch about the idea that they spent so much time going over and over Juliet's death. Sending him up the stairs so many times, watching the water drip down so many times over the course of the season. And I have to tell you that Westworld Gifts on Twitter showed me the light of like, why the heck they'd be doing this? It turns out that if you guys look carefully, the water dripping down, A, it drips down on two different types of tables. It drips off of um, like a chandelier that has two different types. One's like a crystal, one's sort of like more like a pearl ball or something. 
something that it's stripping off of. And the bathtubs look different. One is much more like marble. One is a darker color. It's crazy, which again, now finally explains to me why did we have to go over that scene so many times. So we added this amendment on for you guys so that you guys can go back and take a look and let us know what do you think. I'm starting to think like what you were saying um, earlier in the podcast that the concept that the man in black, perhaps we've been seeing his story through two different sets of eyes. Perhaps it's been some flesh and blood man in black and some this hybrid monster man in black, but both of them are remembering. It's just like not the same. It's one of those things where like if somebody thought they knew your house or something and so then they they gave you the details, but then they didn't realize you renovated like, you know, six months later or something. And like, that's not the way that it had looked when the incident happened. Yeah. Um, This is very reminiscent of the whole way that they did the time skewing in the first season right where, very much so where it's the same scene but you had to notice differences in the scene it's yeah, like right. it's like the that logo. highlights game yeah. right yeah where you have to like look at two pictures and be like wait one's one's different than the other we're in two different timelines this is like to me it's like two different points of view not two different timelines but two different people remembering and whether it's forward having the wrong information and putting those memories in whether it's the man in black confusing it in some way but it seems to me like i mean you only remember what how how do i say this i don't want to say you can't remember incorrectly because certainly you could but i don't think you change the color of your bathtub in your memory do you know what i mean sure and so to me that's like maybe you get the events out of order maybe you even get the motivation out of order but i don't think you get the color of the tub out of order so that kind of stuff is like questionable. Plus, only really in one scene did they show there was the bottle of pills. And I don't remember in the other scene if they did. Hmm. And so then it's sort of like, oh, wait a minute. Like, was there actually two different causes of deaths even in these two different ways? I don't even know. Because if we were being shown two different things, maybe I'm remembering different things in different scenes. So you guys, I want you to go back and take a look and tell us what you guys think. We're eager to hear what you have to say. So th- that was the that was the then happening of Man in Black. We also find the out flashback, if you will. Juliet has stashed that memory card in the recovered music box. This is real mom and daughter shit, right? Like I know you threw away my box. I've been hanging on to it all these years, and since I'm going to be dead, you're going to go through my shit and you're going to find it, and then you're going to find the memory card. So it's going to feel like extra worse. Because <laughs> it's it's like bad news, but it's in this thing that's going to make you feel bad too. Oh yeah, no, this was this was again for all the words of like gaslighting and all that stuff. I mean, all these people were extremely manipulative of one another, all of them in all the ways that they do things. Now maybe everybody's like this, but I mean, this was like multi layered abuse, you know, like mm-hmm. nuts, nuts, emotional, psychological stuff here. So then, like Caroline was saying, flipping over to. The point in time that's got to be what I've been calling a few days ago. I previously called it a week ago, and I previously called it two weeks ago. But since the show's been going on and we are one episode away from the finale, or the finale's next week, it's got to just be a couple of days at this point. So a few days ago, Emily has found, like we like we predicted, she found a... Um, a cheat code <laughs> and has, has patched up her dad with what he called a, what did she call it? Like a, a rally point. She rally was like, he found point. a rally point. Yes. 
So emergency supplies, contacted Delos, the whole nine yards. They talk about their stuff. She gives a lot of bad answers, right? She does give a lot of very dodgy kind of answers when he asks stuff like, how did you even find me? And she's like, well, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the project. I want in. And then she like bashes the project later. So it's like, she's very hard to keep up with. I mean, I don't know that you'd go as far as like shooting her per se. Well, if you're William, you might. She was suspicious acting. Would you agree? I agree that she did not seem forthcoming. And and her behavior, even to us as the audience, seemed like, what do you mean you want in? Like, you know, you, you've been bashing this life and everything having to do with Westworld and, and screwing around with this and, and basically saying that, like, you know, this whole thing up until this point you know, ruin their family and and she was there to to make him die a horrible death. But <laughs> now I want in. Like, yeah. what are you talking about? Like, I agree with you that it just didn't feel good. They did give a lot of what I would consider like midichlorian type information at this <laughs> point. Um, you know, the data and the decisions and the giving people second chances and you know, that that they were taking not only the genetic code, but also the cognition processes. And um, I mean, everything, everything. Now, here's one thing, Paul, that I have a big fat question on. Oh, you know, I can totally answer everything about this show. Okay. So there, she's like, you would have had to have ongoing scans of their brains to like know more about what's going on. And he gives the indicator basically without in without saying it, that the scanners are in the hats. Yeah. Okay, now, this works if you are in Westworld, a cowboy-based place, mm-hmm. okay, where people, and even the ladies, were wearing even those tiny little hats for whatever <laughs> fashion plates that they were. Okay, but I looked over at Shogun World. Sorry, no hats. Hmm. And I was trying to think about over in um, the Indian world, the Raj, Grace, was not wearing a hat and neither was her male counterpart. So I don't really get this. I, I perhaps, and this is weak. They were only interested in the reactions that Westworld provoked. Yeah. You give me a look like that's doesn't make any sense. Uh, Cause it doesn't, but that's the only conceit that I could agree to. I mean, I could play around and say something like for the Shogun world, maybe the fact that the women were like the flower piece in their hair, perhaps. Or like the the chopsticks in the hair. Perhaps. (laughs) But the men didn't. Like, there's nothing I can think of that the men were wearing where they ever had anything like that. So I'm like, I don't. I'm having a hard time with this. And I know that there was um, an interview with Lisa Joy a while back, um, and they said some comment about about the hats. And and Lisa Joyce said something like, yeah, I'd be wary of those hats if I were you. Something like that. And this was a while, while back. So it was some sort of nod to this. But now this entire conversation does not go where I think it's going to go at all. The back and forth, again, like we said, the, the idea that Emily wants in, MIB is like crazed at this point. I mean, when he says fuck you to her, Hmm. That was a jaw dropper, you know, like what? Well, I mean, he's at this point, he's convinced that she's just a host, 
and it's Robert screwing around with him. So it doesn't matter that he would say that to the, his daughter bot, right? Yeah, of course. But it just makes such a for such a crazy conversation, right? I mean, it just seems so weird. Well, I mean, she. <laughs> that's that's when the pretense drops, right? Like she's she was. Pre- she had been telling him that she's making an effort, but then it turns out she was pretending to make an effort, right? I know that part where she's like, I'm not pretending to be a host. I'm pretending to be your daughter who gives a damn about you. Right. Yeah. Ooh, ouch. Now, when that crew comes and to to salvage them, right, they did the scanner on his neck and it said clear. Yeah. I know they did the scanner, but I never saw any result for Emily. Oh, I didn't see either. They had her kind of turned, so I don't think we were supposed to be able to see it. When he grabs the gun and decides, like, none of this is going to happen. Yeah. What did you think? I kind of thought he'd lost his mind um, because he was killing actual people, his own employees. There's no reason to think that they were hosts, right? He knew why they were there. They were there on schedule, basically, because they asked them to come. I mean, his devotion to finishing the the narrative, I think, qualifies as being kind of nuts at this point, rather rather than getting patched up and all that. Um, so Emily does say that she had seen the memory card and does like lay it out for him. Now, in her hand, she was holding a memory card. Do you think it was really Man in Blacks? Do you think that there was anything more odd about that? No, I think it was because because she's reaching behind her back where he knows his gun is. That's right. And she says, wait, I'll show you. Right. And that's when he opens fire. And that I mean it only works. It's not it's a terrible bluff because <laughs> it, it won't work. So, yeah, it, I think it is the real deal card. Ugh. So I was absolutely 100 percent shocked that he actually shot her. Now, here's my question. Oh, but but you could kind of see it coming, right? The whole time. I mean, he had the gun. Yeah. And he he was he's been flirting with the idea that she's a host. He's been entertaining her talking, trying to figure it out, and then he just turns on her. So, yeah, you could you could see it coming, but you at the same time it's like you couldn't believe it was Again, happening. Again, it's a Father's Day episode, y'all. Don't forget that. Right. But here's my question mark. We saw William get shot how many times in the previous episode? Was it 4 or 5? Five, I think. Yeah. Is it possible Emily's not dead? She did not get shot in the head. She got kind of shot in the chest and, and guts, right? And I would say chest, like kind of uh, almost shoulder kind of chest. But I, I was afraid for a second he was going to cut her open at, to, to I double thought, check. I definitely think he was cutting open her arm for sure. He was cutting open her arm. But then what happened there? He didn't find a port, so he he actually killed the real Emily, even though she was dodgy and mean <laughs> and all this other stuff. Well, was uh, she mean or was she just like holding a mirror up to him constantly? Like she didn't let him get away with anything, you know? Yeah, yeah. She was like, no, that's not what happened. And we're not going to do that, you know? So, yeah, I just, I just don't know. Okay, so I don't know that she's dead. I'm going to put it out there that I don't think she's dead. I think it would be way more interesting if she's not dead. I'll tell you who could come across her, Elsie. Um, She's out there loose as a goose out there. And so I'm going to put out there that Emily is still alive. Maybe Ghost Nation even finds her. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it really hurts 
I mean, it was it, it's it's suitably HBO dark for her to just be dead. I heard, and I don't know this, and if you didn't watch Game of Thrones and you don't know, then shh, but um, wasn't there a Father's Day episode that was uh, equally awful in Game of Thrones? Hmm. I was a late convert to Game of Thrones, and I can tell you that Game of Thrones saves up its, like, ball breaker episodes for episode nine instead of episode 10 stuff happens in episode 10 that makes you no, want to keep like watching it. i don't remember their names like tywin who get, who's the dad and the son it oh. happens on father's day well then it would be um it would be Tyrion escapes his imprisonment finds his dad tywin on the shitter and kills him with a crossbow while he's taking a dump that's the episode that's I'm referring to. Okay. Not just your general talk of HBO. That specific Father's Day special that was like, what? He also kills his his former whore. Uh, but I mean, y'all spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. You probably weren't talk, talking about that. No, I really killing. wasn't. No, but yeah. speaking of killing, though, so then William heads off to the you know the mountaintop like Julie Andrew style, and is sitting there trying to rationalize like what just happened and it's bad he's he's like and it's bad well i mean, he, I mean he pulls out the gun he's like this is suicide worthy i've did done you, something did you think he was gonna do it i mean this thing is kind of about him so no no but i am i mean i i really wish we had screeners because i can't i can't stand not knowing what he found in his arm i think he's a host it's like bad either way. There's no win for him now. He's killed his daughter. That's true. There is no win. And so if he's a human, he's a piece of shit that killed his own daughter, right? And he's if he's a host- And they basically figured out also killed his wife, like through his actions and the memory card and all that stuff. Like it Yeah, was all but that's water under the wife bridge. Oh, God. But then if he's a host, that's like also, that's equally like, holy shit, I'm a host, right? Yes. Either way, you're kind of an inhuman monster. <laughs> <laughs> it's very hard to deal with. He's he's in a very bad spot here. What so, do you think? What do you think? I mean, do you think host or human? See, I'm with you that there's no good answer anymore. And it's like both are horrible. You know, if he's a host, you know, they showed him this whole time, even in the flashbacks, fooling around with his forearm, touching his forearm all the time, pulling up his sleeve, even when he's sitting there with Juliet, fooling around with his forearm. I I wonder if I wonder if the the real William, if sometimes he stayed and sometimes he, oh, Paul, hold on. I'm having a thought. I'm having a thought, honey. I saw the light bulb go off. I think there's both. You think there's a human man in black and a host man in black in the same story at the same time, and we've been seeing both stories. Yes. I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Okay. Because of that touching of his arm business and because of the idea, like, I don't think that the guy who came back and was at that party. At the end of season one? I don't No, no. In this episode right here. Yeah. Okay. So prior to season one. I think that might have been host William. I think it's possible that's why he was reacting to to things the way he was so like he didn't call the doctor emily did he didn't he exposed a secret that like he probably wouldn't or shouldn't have you know there was just a lot even maybe even maybe ford showing up 
maybe host self did leave the leave the campus and went to the party. And the why I say that is because how he thought he saw a Dolores and it was the waitress. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I've got a, I've got a hinky vibe. I got a hinky vibe, Paul. And maybe and maybe our showdown of showdowns is not Maven Dolores and whatever, but Human William and Host William. You might be onto something. I mean, the creators of this show save their best shit for the last episode where it all comes together and it and it shows you that you've been kind of watching Westworld, but you haven't been getting everything yet until they drop in those last couple pieces. That makes you want to like go back and watch it again. But do you agree that like it's actually because there are so many times when you say, but he's got to be a host. This seems like host. I'm getting host vibes. And then there's other times you're like, oh, it really feels like human. What a payoff if like you were right every time. You were right. Every time that you thought either of those things, you were right. In that scene, it was a host. In this scene, it was a human. That it was a human. That was a host. Like, oh my God. And remember the whole thing? In order to become your fully formed consciousness, you have to suffer. Yeah. Okay. Now, if you haven't watched Infinity Wars, now pause for a minute, okay? Or fast forward. Who did Thanos have to kill? His daughter. His daughter. To get the the one of the stones. Who's William have to kill? His, His daughter. daughter. So what if what if that's was like part of the steps? Like in order to you have to suffer. That was the whole thing. That's the only way to get to, to full, lose the thing that you love. Right? And you have to in order. You, Charlie had to die for Bernard to become awake. Right. Yeah. Like he had to happen that way. So yeah. I'm flailing my appendages, you guys. I'm like talking Paul in my like uh, Nash. What's his name? John Nash. Kind of. <laughs> Beautiful mind. Yeah. I'm like moving my hands. I'm like moving. If I had like a, like a, what do they call it? Like those uh, Mission Impossible kind of slide screens in front of me. I'm like sliding my screens, looking all around. She means Minority Report, but uh, I, knew, I knew what she meant. Now I'm like sliding. that old lady who's like Shanning Tardum. <laughs> <laughs> Shanning. Uh, victim all that okay so yeah i mean what do you think what do you think about the idea that maybe that's why because maybe sometimes when he touches his arm there is a port and because they're like this connective weirdness where there is still a live person making memories and maybe that's somehow integrated because that the forge if you will is like a, a live system going on and the mesh network and the blah 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 could the host be getting almost like updated when the real life human is having real life human things happening? So could you touch your arm and sometimes have a port and then have a memory as the human that I touched my arm last time and it felt like a port, but I'm touching it this time and there isn't a port because it's like you're sharing a brain. Yeah, but sure. But explaining that in TV terms would be super tedious, right? I don't know. I mean, there's a little bit of that this episode they have where, gone, where they explained the forge, the cognition storing, and they all have that. gone through great lengths to explain the hive mind mesh network over and over and over again. They've shown us. I mean, we got it that if a host stands next to other hosts, they can make them do what they want. We have seen this in how many episodes have they gone into such detail? So then to show Clem again. Well, again, no, no. The mesh network was just exchanging information. I know. I understand. But the idea of having 
to then be able to control utilizing the mesh network. I, I yeah. understand the various steps. Like they showed us there's now different levels of it. But don't you feel like it's almost like ad nauseum we've been explaining the mesh network compared to like so many other parts that like they've barely touched? But they like they've really explained the mesh network to us. Yeah, we get it. Okay, but maybe we don't. That's what I'm saying. Like, what if the human brains in the forge and a host brain, like, what if they're in the mesh network too? And like, mm. they, we didn't explore that yet. I don't know. My brain hurts from this. I'm no, telling you. We're assuming that the forge is holding copied cognition, unless it's like base. patterns, yeah. patterns of cognition, though, too, right? But I mean, that's the idea of the the hat constantly scanning them. I mean, it's it's updating, it's adding patterns of behavior and patterns of thought and decision making and all that stuff, right? I yeah. mean, it's like a live moving thing, I think, I, I believe. I don't know. I'm not a scientist, Paul. I don't claim to understand immortality. Nope. But you know who does? Ghost Nation. Ghost Nation tries to, <laughs> tries to exert their philosophy on Dolores this week, and Dolores ain't having it. Uh, like beyond ain't having it. She's like, you know what? I'm gonna do when I don't like things. I just kill everything. Right. I'm gonna sacrifice all my guys, just just so that you can't. <laughs> we don't believe what you're saying, and we're just gonna kill your guys. And it doesn't matter. We lose all our guys too. I was super surprised, and then to have there be like, you know what? You need to uh, go figure out if anyone else got away to Teddy. I was like, oh geez. But let's talk about it for a second. So. The idea of the valley is a tool to secure immortality, and Ghost Nation says, no, it's not a tool. It's a door. It's a door to the new world. And they go back and forth on this. What do you think? What do you think about this tool versus door versus whatever? What is this? Well, I think I know what Dolores means in the sense of she kind of wants to use it the way Ford threatened mm -hmm. to use the the kind of threatened to use the card right like this is bad shit about you that we can tell other people okay so i understand all that the door part i am less sure about because i mean the way doors are ways into and out of things and the forge is just a storage place the door i would have thought would have been the train station and i, I don't, don't know that they mean a physical door yeah well do you mean like uploading themselves and just living mm -hmm. like that? I Well, or, and I don't know how this works. I don't know exactly what's in the forge. So again, we were looking at those like kind of weird barrels, uh, kind of issue. They remind me of like crude oil barrels, like stacked up the way that they did. Um, that's a Texas point. Of view. Right. <laughs> that's a little POV from you. We're making whole. <laughs> right. Making whole. Making whole. In case y'all don't know. That's a version of saying digging a hole, but for whatever reason, they say making hole. You heard me correctly. <laughs> exactly like that. Um, anyway, so I, I think the idea of a door, it has to be this existential door, right? It has to be this moving from one world to another, but not like the train station, not like the escalator, not like the monorail thing, not like those doors, like some exchange of consciousness slash a spiritual door. Something. And Ghost Nation has always been more on point on these things, in my opinion. I mean, they're the ones who have like collected the most amount of information for the longest amount of time and seem to have almost the most 
pure like intent behind it. You know, like they're not trying to like Dolores uh, persecute anyone, have revenge on anyone with it, doing do any of these things with this information. They seem to legitimately want just to like do what's best for their their group. Yeah. That's very, very different than Dolores and wanting to use it as this tool. Now, this idea of a weapon, can it be a weapon in a door? Is this a possibility? It could be both, but it, they, they, the way that they uh, approach each other, it's they are basically treating it like it, it can only be one or the other. It's like it's used up. Once I use it for my thing, chances are that's all we're going to use it for from, from then on. If you think of it like potentially it is bodies of some sort, right? Some sort of, I, and I don't like the word that they've already used the word host because I would think I would use the word host had they been calling the robots robots, right? Yeah. So if it was some other form that consciousness and these souls and whatnot could take, then you kind of get the idea that, that it is true that they could really only be used once and for one use. Like if we hop into this body and we're going to utilize this, whatever the heck that the thing is, then it can either be used for destruction or it can be like peaceably moving us into a different realm. But but you can't like blow up stuff and peaceably move into the other land at the same time. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it is kind of like a one use per person kind of sitch. Well, if that's the way it works. Alternatively, even if she, you know, she's of Westworld. So she... Even though she thinks it's a weapon, and then I've been thinking of it as like you know a WikiLeaks, basically. Um, Can you explain she, that a little bit to people who don't know what you mean? Just releasing unreleased information and it having it damage the people mentioned in whatever the documentation is. What if all she needs to do is hold it for ransom, basically? Because could it could it be just that the threat of her? destroying the place would be enough for Delos to leave her alone. Leave her alone in Westworld or let her pass into a different space? She does seem to want to go. So she does. So then is it enough? Like, like what exactly would the blackmail be like to let her pass? I mean, I know she continuously keeps saying not everybody can go. Yeah. <laughs> There's only a couple seats in the Great Space Coaster. <laughs> like she continuously is like lording that over them. Yeah. Not you, Jojo. Yeah. That's my that's yeah, it's just my alternative thought. It's more she could use it for ransom for something that she wants rather than using whatever's in there at for her own means. Does that that make sense? I guess. I mean, I I don't know. I Like I said, I, for whatever reason, I fall on the side of Ghost Nation in all of this because after the Akichita, you know, episode, I feel like coming from a place of love and wanting to keep your tribe together and wanting the best for your family and all that stuff, like, he seems like he has the most, like, true heart and true story. And I think even though Akichita wasn't there, his, like, what we were saying, his right-hand man or a second guy there was was basically there. And he was the one that Teddy let go. And I kind of felt like, you know, he was there in spirit, if you will, Akichita was. Yeah. And so I, I want to think that the story, if it if it is some sort of moral tale in the end or something, if it is this existential thought of of values and you know having a stain inside you and all this kind of stuff then 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 wouldn't the quest for love and family and all that stuff wouldn't that win 
over the the seeking to use things for revenge or for harm or for war? Well, I mean, on the value scale of humans, yes. But we've been believing this whole time that Dolores was set off on this path by Ford, right? And that largely she's been executing Ford's plan, right? To- I'm not sure. Only just that well, if you listen to what Ford always says, if you just listen to his words, then he says, no, he didn't like, he didn't write this for her path. He just knew what she would do if he put things in a certain way. But he he put them in that way. Which drink, brings us back to that moment when uh, William was thinking of killing himself and he's was asking, did I make these choices myself? Did I actually make these choices myself? It's such a good question. I mean, it's something that, well, I'll share something personal with you listeners. When um, when I gave birth to our twin girls, it, they were only 23 weeks gestation. And in Texas, that means um, actually that it is not at all advised, nor is it law that you resuscitate 23-week babies. Um, and so we said, do everything you can. But they told us all the risks and all the 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 special needs that they would have and all and all the health issues and or what they could gather and um and after we came home and we 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 started living the life of having these very very special needs children i had to stop and think like did we make the decision to go down this path or like did doctors and family and people around me sort of coerced me into thinking that this was the right thing to to do because there were other doctors who were saying do not resuscitate and like did I make this choice or did I not make this choice and I can tell you guys like as, as just a human being the importance of understanding whether or not you made a choice that set your life in a certain way like cannot be underscored like you have to know if you made that choice on your own or if you or if you didn't and if it's unclear like it it can mess with you in such a, an awful way so i actually did sit down with like a counselor and like sat down and thought back all through everything and thought like through all the options and then ultimately i came to the conclusion yes i did make this choice and yes i i i did embrace this life and i and i could embrace this life and i understood what i was doing at the time it wasn't the medications it wasn't all those things why do I say all those things? Why do I share this with you guys? Because I think that they they did manage in this story to get to like a kernel of human existence that's like- One true thing. Yeah, that one true thing is like, did I choose this life? Did I, did I do this? You know, did I do this? Or was this a, a series of sort of clumsy accidents that I fell into something that I never really meant to be in? And that people actually need to know in order to like be okay. It's deep shit, Caroline. (laughs) (laughs) Daily. So what do you think though? I mean, I I think as we move forward with Teddy's story, I feel like this is all about choice where he felt like his choices had been taken from him and he couldn't live like that. When he let Akicha does number two guy go, as I read it, the first time I saw it, I thought, is he using Maeve brain powers on him? I thought that too. I thought that the that the ghost station guy basically gave him the 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 you know, what is it like the yeah. what's that word? The touch of touch of death or whatever. Like made him made him put down the gun. But it was like, no, he let him go. And that that's what created this conflict in Teddy 
that ultimately drove him to his own taking his own robo life. Um, there was still enough of the honorable Teddy left in the new aggressive mad dog Teddy that he couldn't reconcile being two two people in the same body anymore. And he couldn't stand it, basically, needing to love and protect Dolores, but hating her mission and what she's making him do. Yeah, I think I and I think taking choice off the table for him. Like, like understanding the need that he needed the whole way that he like got himself back was to make the choice not to kill that man. And it was like the first like choice that he made since she, you know, adjusted his settings, if you will. Yeah. And I I really think that that lack of choice, like, I mean, my God, we're, we're covering um, Handmaid's Tale and Colony currently right now. And I can tell you that if someone feels like they don't have choice, I mean, it's a human you know, internal killer, you know, no matter what it's, it's a, it's basically like emotional suicide. If you feel like you have no choice anymore. That's when, uh, June recedes back into offer it earlier this season. Exactly. It's, it's very similar. Like once you feel like you have to take choice off the table, it's like, I can't even, I I'm not even here anymore. I was so sad when Teddy actually pulled the trigger. So sad. So sad. I mean, I could see it coming, you know, when he was like, like listing out the whole thing. It's like when they say people who are going to commit suicide, like give away all their things and all that kind of stuff. And they make all these amends and stuff. I I felt so much like him saying like, I'll always love you. Let's go back to my origination story and remind you. I thought it was very cool that they showed that he basically like imprinted on Dolores like a little baby duck. Yeah. You know, like as soon as he opened his eyes, she was like the first thing he saw and he just loved her with all his might forever and ever. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And I, I just think that that's like I kind of think that it's. This is going to be adorable, you guys. But I kind of feel like it's like for me and you, like in many ways, when we like opened our eyes to the idea of like a, a an adult romantic relationship, like we were together since we were so young that it was like we like imprinted on each other. Right. We we're like the ones that were together at the time when you're like. I should pick a, um, a mate for longer than just like the school dance, you know? And it was like, <gasps> we were like looking at each other at the same time, like Freaky Friday, like, you're the one, like that, right? You look just like Dolores did. Oh, my goodness. Naked. <laughs> Cold, afraid, <laughs> right? staring straight forward. Yeah. Oh, my God, you're awful. Anyways. <laughs> Theodore Flood. R.I.P. Yeah, so second, I would say major death. I mean, we've had Teddy since uh, day one. Yeah. Uh, and I'm giving Emily Grace similar stature just because she's... I would say Ford was the number the, one shocker death. No, I mean this season. Sure. Absolutely. This episode. This episode. Uh, oh, oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so we all have a moment of silence for Ted. We did. You can just pause it and do that. <laughs> To yourself alone in your right. car. Just go ahead and pause it. Yeah. Think about your choices in your life. But while you are doing that, we're going to move forward with Maeve. All right. So they copy her code. As Caroline's already mentioned, we saw the demonstration with Clem. They copy the code that they think makes it possible for her to communicate over the mesh network into Clem. They turn Clem on and she kind of does this Night King routine where she brings a bunch of dead hosts back to life and then they start going crazy on each other 
So do you, was that part of her charm there was to gnarly chattel her up? Was that, that was the message she was sending through her poem? Uh, yeah, because Hale, when she saw it, was like, that works just great. The idea is to get the host to just kill all themselves. All, all we got to do is just drag Clem around the park and that'll she'll just set them off. And they'll just start. So wherever they are, they'll just kill each other, and then we'll just pick up the bodies later. Clem's like a detonator, huh? She's yeah. like going around. I think it works because they had already hollowed out her brain, you know. Oh. So she, she could do this, and it would just be no big deal. Oh, that makes sense. I wrote down that she was like an uh, like an ultra soldier now. Is that the right word? Ultra soldier. Ultra soldier. Very hard to say. Wow, what do okay. they say when it's like when you have this soldier that's like the the mightiest one? Well, I mean, super soldier is what they call Captain America. Super soldier, super soldier, totally different thing. It's different than ultra yeah. soldier, which is very hard to say. Okay, so Hale was kind of a weirdo in this one for me. Like, I felt like she came in on the scene, but just for like a second, just enough to be like awesome, and like kind of was like not there anymore. It's these scenes are. It's hard to keep them in sequence because completely yes because they look a lot like the quote unquote now timeline. But we've got to remember this is leading up to now. This is a couple days ago because mm-hmm. this is when Maeve is still all disemboweled on the on the gurney. She's not disemboweled. She's flayed. 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 Open. You know, I, I watched this thing that, um, and I know you did too, right? About the that it took like two or three hours to get all that makeup on her. Yeah, well, it's pretty convincing because it shows all it's the muscle and all that kind of stuff. Ah. It's it's pretty convincing. It's super gross. Okay, so they they test Maeve's controls. They decide how they're going to use her. However, and they all run away. <laughs> they do all run away. Once again, it must be lunch. Right. So they must have to clear the floor mm-hmm. for lunch break, right? Mm-hmm. And Bernard is kind of hanging about for whatever reason, allowed to soak up what's going on. And he has to stop in and allow like a message from Ford to like float like over to me. So lay it on me. What did you think about Ford's conversation with Maeve? It was sweet and it wasn't as um, super clear as I kind of needed. He basically affirms the idea that his intent was for her to go everything, to go through everything she went through last season, get on the train, and then go live out in the human world. And so he was pleasantly surprised that she made up her own mind and came back for her child. It made him very proud of her, I would say. I agree. And I was really surprised that he said that she was his favorite and that he, she was like his child. I never got any inkling of that for the entire couple of seasons here. Me neither. So do you think that was always the plan? Or do you think that, because I mean, really, she is coming out of left field. There is really nothing about these two that seems like they had any like true rapport at any point in time like he never talked about her yeah i mean i agree it was out of left field i can't i mean there's not really even a debate i mean he never mentioned her i mean why would you make your favorite the whorehouse madam (laughs) you know good call i it just seemed odd it really seemed odd to me so i don't know if i buy it I, i i feel like maybe this was a little like 
Maybe second, it was of like of the of the uh, of the conscious host group. <laughs> like Dolores, he already told us we're not exactly friends. Yeah, that was, the, and you know what? And that actually kind of surprised me because they so set that up as a father daughter relationship in a lot of weird ways. You know, yeah. I mean, a messed up father. Don't get me wrong, but they really set that up. So that kind of weirded me when he was like, "I wouldn't call us friends." It seemed like, like he, you know, may have accessed her ports at some point, you know, in a nasty way. So, and then Akichita was like a dark horse contender that he wasn't even aware of, you know? So maybe, maybe he's just thinking of that little group of turned on hosts. Turned on hosts. Yeah. Maeve is the, is the one he wanted to, to win. I guess so. I maybe I, yeah. But when he said, oh, I can go with that. I can go with like, you're the one I, you're the contender I want to win. When I he, like that. When he said that, that bit about you went back for your child, I came back for mine. Do you think he was talking about Bernard or her? <sighs> I thought Bernard because he kind of looked away in this way that kind of suggested not her. Well, I don't think it's her. That's the thing. Like, I never got any idea that they were supposed to be like that relationship. I like Bernard better as his child. I like that better. Yes, I, I could go with that. Okay. All right. So then he lays a little mooch on her head. Adorable yes. Father's Day mooch on her forehead. In the behind the scenes clip released on YouTube today, you can see Relisa Joy just says that act is what made it so that her mesh network turned back on and she could do her airwaves hijinks again, getting host to turn back on, come back to life, do what she wants. All that stuff's available to her now. And since everybody's out at lunch, <laughs> Again, right it's it's tater tot date in the cafetorium right i mean they <laughs> the room where they where they did clem's demonstration is full of hosts that are just waiting to be turned back and they're on. like agitated too <laughs> right they're ready for action right <laughs> so yeah she she could get things going uh, i mean the part where she's flayed open that's going to be harder to deal with obviously there's probably not any skilled surgeons or anything they might have to get that bolt gun again yeah <laughs> all right well speaking of ford's favorite child if we think it's bernard let's get into what bernard's been up to we said he peeped up on the clem's show and was kind of like Ooh. he definitely was was hanging around there and and decided okay i need to do what he himself wanted to team back up with elsie and get out of there but then i think the ford controlled part was like no we're gonna go do this forge thing so bernard becomes our exposition mouthpiece to get us up to speed on what the the forge slash valley is all about okay again midichlorian time yeah late on us he just tells her that the that the for that the forge is is a replication of guest cognition. So it's like it's copied how people think. I'm going to really hold back on the word copy on this because I know that Ford used that term, but I'm going to say it's a record. It's a record of people's actual behavior. So in that way, it is a copy, but there's something that feels a little different about like documented behavior versus like copied. Does that make sense? Sure. Somehow it seems more authentic that way. I wrote in my notes that he's got to beat the hosts there. Why? Why? Did did they say why he needs to beat Dolores there? Because, I mean, I don't know that Ford gives a shit about preserving it. So 
what do you think? Maybe it's maybe it's to keep Dolores from using it for her ends. He needs to beat her there. Well, okay, he says he what he says is that he needs him to open the door. And this is the conversation that they're having though that's out, you know, when when Bernard is like desperately trying to like get the code out of his own head that yeah. is Ford and he says you need to think about this as the origin of an entire species. So whatever this hybrid mix of human and host and whatever this is, I think that he does want it released to another world. Now, I am very hesitant about using the word world anymore because I think that we're being too simple to think that it's just like Westworld, this island, fictitious park versus real world you know, like where Juliet lives, right? Lived. I think it's like also like realms in some way. Like there's there's like, you could also think of it as like levels of consciousness and levels of awakeness, if you will, and understanding and all this kind of stuff. Because I think in many ways, like Ghost Nation lives in a world that is neither Westworld nor the real world, what we would consider the real world. Because they're like so awake that this world is, you know, what we're considering Westworld is not where they live, their consciousness does not reside there. They, they know better than this, you know? Yeah. So it's like in a weird way, they don't live there. They observe this world and they are present in Westworld. But they are also obviously not present in what we consider like real life human world. I, I do know that the concept of future world is was examined in the movie version of all this. There was a second Westworld movie, and it was future world. Do you know anything about that? Because I know Did not nothing see it, about no. it. I'm really wondering if the idea of opening this door, again, doesn't necessarily mean walking right onto like the Tokyo street, you know, where now you're like a Harajuku girl or whatever, okay? <laughs> I don't really think that that's what it is. I, I think that... Maybe it's going to be a version of future world. Maybe there's going to be some sort of other realm, other way to think, other place for your soul and consciousness to reside. Maybe that is future world. You know, I don't know. We've we've really examined the past so much in in these two seasons. All the flashbacks, all the you know Akichita, all the thirty five years ago, all that. Like I feel like they've. They could say we've exhausted really all these people's backstories all the way to you saw everybody from like their first original builds down to Ford when he was a little boy, you know, via his robot, you know, Mm -hmm. that I could see where they would say in order to move this story forward, we've got to leap forward, you know, literally leap forward. That makes sense. So that's what I would like to throw out. And that's what I would like to throw out that Ford's mission is for Bernard. And I think... I, no, you guys, I haven't read this anywhere. So if it sounds like I'm like really like jumping all over the place, I really am because I'm really just thinking of this stuff off the cuff and it's kind of late when we're recording right now. So I, I don't know exactly what I'm saying. I, I just I feel like I just want to throw out these nuggets for us all to like think about because our finale is coming up. So that's what I think Bernard's goal is. What do you think about the idea of Ford constantly saying Elsie's going to betray you? You know, you basically need to like ditch her and everything that's happening. What do you think about all this? I think he's putting a lot of pressure on Bernard and he's he's lost faith in regular flesh and blood humans, which is why he was fine dying, I guess, because he I mean, that's one of the last things he's he he said was we'll always we'll always betray you, Elsie. 
being a flesh and blood human. This betrayal is kind of like a funny word to apply there, but it may be like she may look out for her own best interests, which conflict with yours, which I am, which I am telling you because they're mine. Well, and if you think about it too, I mean, beyond a shot to the head, Bernard can come back. I mean, they can patch him up still. Yeah, you know, but Elsie, like, I mean, she has to be more assertive and all this because she they can't you know fix her you know in the same way i don't i mean fort's not wrong but i think that the concept of betrayal is like is more this like idea of like a psychological betrayal or something like she's gonna really go back as opposed to coming up and him acting like a freak you know his arm is tied to the steering wheel he's like scurrying through he's got his arm opened up and stuff her being scared of that is not a betrayal of bernard i mean he's acting scary so she's acting scared. Right. You know, and, and Ford is like portraying that as like, look, you know, she'll just turn on a dime. And it's like, <laughs> uh, I, mean, I don't know about all. I told you, bitch crazy. <laughs> I don't know about all that. I do think that Elsie being left in the middle of nowhere and us knowing that that Emily is likely lying at a rally point. Elsie probably knows where a rally point is. And so it's very logical that she ends up at that same rally point with Grace. Slash yeah, Emily. But she's dead. I don't think she is. I don't think she is. Do you think he he actually got Ford out of his body? No. I believe Ford would have put in some redundancies or something that would make it so that I mean he could have he could have copied himself into Bernard's soul or whatever from the get-go, you know? Mm, that's true. So it's like indelibly attached to him. It's hard-coded, if you will. Would you call it a stain? A stain is a good Good analogy, yes. He couldn't see it. Nobody else could till it became perfectly clear it was there. <laughs> OMG. Full circle, you guys. Well, we super hope that you guys enjoyed this episode. We really did. We felt like this was the vanishing point where all of our stories really converged. And I think they did a great job with this one. I felt like there was a lot of like jaw-dropping moments. I am really sad about Teddy and I really... Would love to think that he can come back, but I know that, you know, blowing up the cradle meant he, was, he wasn't he was coming back. And actually, you know, I mean, there's something so virtuous about Teddy in that way that like, he's like, this isn't me, you know? Yeah. And he, and he was willing to sort of like die for his own value system, you know? Mm-hmm. Amazing. Well, episode 10 coming up this Sunday. Super jazz. We're going to try to get this out to you guys as soon as possible so you guys can give us some feedback. We'd love to hear from you on Daily Review on Twitter. That's D-A-L-E-Y review.com and on Facebook as well. And check us out over on SMS. So many shows. Radio. It's called SMS TV on air on Mondays and Wednesday nights at 8 p.m. Central. Thanks a lot. Catch us on iTunes or your preferred podcast software. Our website dailyreview.com that's d-a-l-e-y review.com facebook or twitter or wherever you find us please leave us a comment and a rating to let us know what you think of the show thanks for listening pot people thanks for listening to my mom and dad you don't have to go home but you can't stay here just go home folks